Hello and welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. The future of rooftop solar is at a crossroads in California. Soon the California Public Utilities Commission will vote on a proposal. That proposal could change the rules for people who own rooftop solar. For one, it would lessen the amount that solar customers are paid for the energy they produce, and it would also create a fee that they would have to pay to maintain the grid, which is owned by utility companies. It's a complicated issue, but an important one. Union Tribune energy reporter Rob Nikoleski is here with an explainer. Well, Rob, thank you for joining me. You know, I wanted to have uh, just sort of a very basic conversation about net metering and what's going on in the state now. So to begin... Will you just define net metering for me? Well, what net energy metering is, that's where you get the the abbreviation NEM, net energy metering. Uh, That's when a rooftop solar system generates more energy than the homeowner or business who owns the rooftop solar system actually consumes. So when they have that excess, that excess can be sent back to the grid and the customers who own that rooftop solar system, they get credits on their bill. So that's it in a nutshell. Okay, so this big vote coming up, it's looking to possibly change California's net metering rules. So what are the rules now and what are the proposed changes? Basically, it's probably simpler to say what the changes are gonna be because there's a whole bunch of rules that involve net net energy metering, NEM 3.0. That's just we're gonna refer to this potential change, this proposed change. The California Public Utilities Commission, they're the ones who approve any kind of rule changes. And the way NEM 2.0, the current system works, uh, is going to be updated or at least plans to be updated to NEM 3.0. It's the first time in about six years that they've made any kind of proposed rule changes. Under these new rule changes, they're gonna alter how much solar customers are paid when they send that power back to the grid. Right now they get it, they get paid on the retail rate. And the proposed change would then, would instead of having people getting paid at the retail rate, they would get paid at the quote, actual avoided cost, which is much lower. It's pretty close to like the wholesale cost uh, per per, uh, kilowatt hour. The other thing that this proposed decision that came down in December, uh, it's a proposed decision, still has to be voted on, become finalized. The other thing that this proposed decision proposes is adding a grid participation charge of $8 per kilowatt hour on the solar systems of residential customers. Now, what does that mean? That means the typical rooftop system is about five to six kilowatts uh, hours. So the charge would come to about 40 to $48 per month to an SDG&E customer. So you're going to be paying 40 to $48 more per month. Now that charge, if, it's, if, if it gets through and gets finalized, that charge would not apply to commercial solar customers, but it would apply to residential customers. And the third big thing would be that it would establish a $600 million equity fund And that would support clean energy and energy storage programs for low-income Californians um, and disadvantaged uh, households would be exempt from from paying that grid participation charge. And that's basically to make sure that that low-income customers who don't, by and large, don't have solar systems, that they can still encourage them 
to go out and get solar installed on their roofs. Yeah, I've read criticisms of uh, NEM 2.0, our current system, as you said, that uh, basically low-income customers are subsidizing current solar customers. Is that true? And, and how does that work? Well, that's really at the core of this debate and about this discussion is what is called the cost shift. Now, the utilities, the big utilities have argued for years that there's a cost shift that when, let's say, let's say I put a rooftop solar system on my, on my house. If I, if I do that, I pay the money up front and then I'm, I'm reducing how much money I'm spending on, uh, on my electric bill. And that excess goes back to the grid. When that happens, my system, it, it's taking kilowatt hours or megawatt hours from the system is taking taking that taking that off the system. If that's the case, then that means there are the few people who are, are the the number of people who do not have solar on their roofs. They still have to pay the whole freight of what it costs to run the system: the poles, the wires, all the rest of those things. So if I'm paying zero, uh, it's, or, or or paying a lot less, I should say, then the thinking is that therefore you've got a fixed amount of charges that go into running the grid. If more and more people are putting solar on their roofs, they're not paying, and this is the argument, not what I'm saying, I'm not advocating that this, but there's their argument is that therefore that there are fewer people paying for that fixed amount of, uh, of cost. And therefore, if you don't have solar, you have you are paying more those a larger percentage of those fixed costs. And that's what is called the cost shift. Now, the people who think that there is a cost shift and that it should uh, be corrected, they estimate that a, a typical person who is not paying solar, let me make sure I got the correct number here, is paying, I think it's $245 more per month. Um, or 200, yeah, $245 more, maybe it's per year. but but. That that's the argument is that if you're if you're if you if you don't have solar, then you are paying a larger share of the of the cost. Well, will you explain to me who is on either side um, of this fight? Who wants to see the NEM rules change at the PUC, and and who would like them to stay the same? I mean, I think I know the answer to the last right. one. Right. Yeah, the solar industry, by and large, they're against these changes. The utilities, as I mentioned. They believe that this cost shift is real and that therefore it should be adjusted and the solar people should be paying more on a fixed amount per month. One of the arguments I should say that the solar advocates say is that, okay, perhaps there is a cost shift, but the uh, solar customers should not have to bear the brunt of, of making these changes and paying more each month because when I, if I put up, put solar on my roof, Therefore, I am putting less stress on the grid. I'm making a big investment because normally it costs tens of thousands of dollars. And that by altering these rules, by changing it to the retail rate uh, for every uh, kilowatt that's sent back to the grid, then you're penalizing me for making the grid more flexible uh, and, and relieving strain on the grid. And so therefore, 
these rule changes are inappropriate. And one of the concerns that the opponents of NEM 3.0 point out is that if you pass these rules, it's going to undercut people's incentive to put in solar on their roof. It's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. If I've got to pay more per month, then the payback period is going to be a lot longer. Instead of five to seven years for me to save enough money on my electric bill to justify putting solar on my roof, if that is extended out 13, 14, 15 years, then you're not going to have as many people putting solar on the roof. And we want, we in California have made a commitment to having cleaner sources of, of power in, uh, in the system. So that is basically the, the argument. Yeah, I, I want to ask you a, like a bigger picture question. So you're the energy reporter uh, you know, at, at the UT. When we talk about cost shift, so it's happening in this space with rooftop solar. It's, it's also really kind of happening um, in transportation too, right? With highways and the gas tax. Yeah. And like, yeah. as, as more cars evolve <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. not, no longer require gas, we're losing that revenue to take care of highways. So I think the question is right. there too. Like, is there any big picture thinking about how we make the move to renewables while also addressing the cost shift across industries? Yeah, well, I think... You're absolutely right about the the EV uh, situation in regards to uh, fixing the highways and the highway tax. Um, they, I believe that the state recently in the last couple of years put in something where I think if you buy an EV, you're you char- you're pay- you're paying like a hundred dollars more. I think on your uh, uh, on your your car uh, registration on your vehicle registration. But that still doesn't make up for that. But yeah, but you're absolutely right. And th- that's gonna be a change that's gonna have to come in as a matter of time. And also, even, even if we took EVs off the board, because we've had, California's had aggressive fuel efficiency standards that basically the, the, the rest of the country follows. Since we've had higher fuel efficiency standards in the last few years, well, if your gasoline powered car is getting 30 miles of the gallon instead of 20 miles of the gallon, you're going to the gas station less frequently. And therefore you're not gonna have as much tax revenue because you're not you're not doing that. Yeah, so that 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 is that is a big question. And the the overall answer to that is something that that I deal with all the time when I'm writing about uh, about the energy transition, and especially here in California, is that this transition is big. We're talking about a large segment. The energy uh, sector touches all of our lives. And to make this transition to a cleaner, more sustainable future is going to have lots and lots of ripple effects. And some of them will be easier to manage, but some of them may be harder. And I think we as a society need to understand that that if we're going to make these changes, and we are in California committed to making a lot of them, then we're, there are going to be trade-offs. Yeah, the growing pains will be interesting to watch. So what are you expecting the vote to look like? The PUC has delayed it, but what happens mm-hmm. next? Well, the, the CPUC has a voting meeting every two weeks. This proposed decision came down in December. And they were originally going to vote on this on January 27th. Well, today's the 26th, it's not gonna happen. And last week they 
took it off the agenda. That is not, not unusual. It's not unsurprising that something as complicated and as controversial as this has been delayed. Um, the earliest they will vote on it is probably, I think, the following two Thursdays. I think it's February 10th. That could be the day where they could do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they push it back again. Another reason why they may be pushing this back is one of the reasons is that there's been a change in the commission as well. We have a brand new CPUC president who took over at the, begin at the start of this year. And also there, there are five commissioners who vote on these things. Right now there are four commissioners. There's one commissioner, um, uh, Guzman Aceves, um, she left and took a job at the EPA. She has not officially been replaced yet. Governor Newsom has appointed someone by the name of John Reynolds, I believe is his name. And he, he has been tapped by Governor Newsom, but he has not been seated. So until we get five commissioners on, uh, on the commission and seated, I don't think we're gonna have, a, well, I, I know I'm very confident we're not gonna have a vote because if you only have four commissioners, then you run the risk, risk of a 2-2 vote. And there could be major changes. There could be, there's a very, very good chance that this proposed decision, this NEM 3.0 proposed decision, will have major amendments to it. The governor even hinted at that a couple weeks ago at a news conference. He said, this thing needs to, get, we need to work on this thing. So there could be some major amendments to what's already written. And there's also, the commission could also put together a, what's called an alternate proposed decision, a second decision, proposed decision, that the commissioners can have a vote on as well. They can say, oh, we're going to vote on the proposed decision, or we're going to vote in favor or against the alternate decision. So there's all sorts of things that are, that are happening here, and we won't have a final decision at least for two weeks, and probably I would not be at all surprised if it's later than that. Okay, well, this sounds like it will be a fun story to watch. Um, Rob, thank you so much for the, the explanation. Thank you very much. I hope I didn't talk too long, but it was, it's 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 um, it's detailed. It's a little bit in the weeds, but it's a very important decision that the CPC is going to make.